This is Knowledge History D&D, Episode 5, The Startup, 1974 to 1975. Part 1, Critical Hit. Nineteen seventy-four was a good year in the history of Dungeons and Dragons. In January, the three-person company, TSR, published their first one thousand copies of the game. Gary Gygax, Don Kay, and Brian Bloom had worked hard since November to get the game printed and assembled. They formed strong working relationships and started selling the game through hobby stores and mail order catalogs. Since wargaming was still a niche market, these were the venues that most of the wargaming industry was using for distribution. At this point, TSR was effectively run out of Gary Gygax's basement, and Don Kay's enclosed porch was used for extra inventory storage. Before the end of 1974, the trio sold out of their first 1,000 copies. They went back to the printers for a second run of 1,000 copies. But as things were starting to get underway for TSR, tragedy struck. In 1974, Don Kay was only 36, but he had signs of a heart condition. He'd been relatively silent about the situation, but by the end of the year, he knew it was serious. After multiple doctor visits, he scheduled heart surgery for early 1975. In the weeks after his surgery, Don suffered a fatal heart attack. Don Kay died on January 31, 1975. It was an emotional blow for Gary Gygax, Brian Bloom, and Dungeons and & Dragons. The bond between Gary and Don had been a central element of Gary's interest in wargaming. So much so that the logo for TSR was an interwoven G and K, Gary and Don's last initials. The business had no choice but to continue. Dungeons & Dragons was selling more every day. But now TSR had a bigger problem than publishing. Gary and Brian had to deal with the fact that their business contract had no provision for the death of a partner. Additionally, Don Kay's will did not specify how to handle his ownership of TSR. As a result, his one-third share of the company passed to his wife, Donna. Donna knew how much time and money Don had put into TSR. She knew it was worth something, and she wasn't going to leave her share on the table. For the meantime, the company could function with two active owners, and Donna helping with accounting from time to time. Thankfully, Gary and Brian had gotten to know each other rather well since starting TSR, but 1975 was going to be a busy year that would test them. Nineteen seventy-four was an odd year in my research. It's the year that D&D was first published, but there aren't a lot of other D&D-related events. It's as if Don, Brian, and Gary were just working non-stop. However, there are a few other games that TSR was working on at the time. They published Warriors of Mars in 1974 as well. That game subsequently resulted in a cease and desist order for using elements of Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter series without permission. Intellectual property issues are a reoccurring theme in TSR's history. First the cover of D&D, and later with the use of elements of Tolkien's world without permission. Part 2. The Strategic Review
By early 1975, TSR had sold around 3,000 copies of Dungeons & Dragons. They were well underway and growing fast. But they hadn't put all their eggs in the D&D basket. They had an array of other games in their arsenal. Games like Cavaliers and Roundheads, Chainmail, Warriors of Mars, Star Probe, Tricolor. These diversified their portfolio into sci-fi and medieval war games. They also resold polyhedral dice sets. They were one of the first gaming companies to sell the set that's now the standard. Their sets were originally from an educational supply company and included 4, 6, 8, 12, and 20-sided dice, each with a different color. Later in 1975, TSR began publishing games by other authors. This included titles that were previously owned by Guidon Games, as well as Dungeon by Dave Meagri. Additionally, in 75, they partnered with Jack Scrubby to have miniatures created for their games. You may remember me mentioning Jack Scrubby in episode one of this series. He was an early distributor of miniatures for war games and the creator of War Game Digest, a newsletter that solidified the wargaming community. Of all of TSR's offerings, none were as popular as D&D, and TSR was very well aware of this. As sales of D&D were taking off, Gary started a new phase of his master plan. He wanted to start his own wargaming periodical and mirror the success of companies like Avalon Hill. Since the mid-60s, Gary had contributed to Avalon Hill's periodical, The General. It was a publication that kept Avalon Hill in touch with the wargaming community. It gave them a foothold on the market and an ever-present name in wargaming circles. Passionate wargamers like Gary used The General as a forum to share tips and techniques. But the fact that Avalon Hill published The General was a constant and subtle reminder that they were the big dogs of wargaming. Gary wanted his own periodical, modeled after the general. Now that TSR had D&D and a whole slew of other games, Gary could use the newsletter platform to write material for and about the games published by TSR. So in spring of 1975, TSR published their first edition of The Strategic Review. It was only six pages long, but it contained a number of notable items for Dungeons & Dragons. There was a one-player variant of D&D that allowed for generating your own dungeon with tables and dice rolls. On page two, the periodical introduced the Mind Flayer, a creature that has since become a mainstay of Dungeons & Dragons. The initial description of the Mind Flayer doesn't stray far from subsequent descriptions. Quote, a super-intelligent man-shaped creature with four tentacles by its mouth, which it uses to strike its prey. If a tentacle hits, it will then penetrate the brain, draw it forth, and the monster will devour it. In 1975, TSR published five volumes of the Strategic Review, and two more in 1976. In many ways, the Strategic Review was just Gary being Gary. He was doing what he knew best, writing. You know, I'm quite impressed that the model for TSR was modular from the start. They would sell you the core rules for a premium, then sell you a magazine that would enhance the rules. It was a business model that the gaming world hadn't seen in the way that Gary envisioned it. Of course, today, the D&D brand publishes new material multiple times a year, each book costing between $30 and 
Video game companies follow this model with downloadable content. But Gary started that model in 1975 with a strategic review, selling them for $1 per magazine. Gary was truly a gaming innovator. Part 3. Altering the Deal In 1975, while Gary was focused on creating content, TSR had major issues to deal with. After the death of Don Kay, Gary and Brian came into contention with his widow, Donna Kay. She was not interested in contributing to the company, but she owned one-third of the shares. The only way out of this situation was a buyout of her shares, but neither Brian nor Gary had the cash to do so. For most of 1975, the two were forced to continue with business as usual and table the thought of a buyout. TSR was successfully selling games and periodicals, but they were only growing as fast as their profit margins. D&D felt like a game that would explode in popularity if they could only get the word out. But they didn't have the cash or the staff to get things moving faster. As it was, Brian and Gary were still working out of their basements. This situation didn't feel sustainable. In the latter half of 1975, Brian Bloom brought a new player to the table. Melvin Bloom was Brian's father and the president of Wisconsin Tool and Stamping. He'd heard about Brian's endeavors with TSR and was impressed by their growth. In August of 75, Melvin offered $20,000 to buy out Donna Kay and become a silent partner. In exchange, he would take 200 shares of the company. Gary was not keen on the idea but it was a move that would shift TSR into full gear. After long deliberation, Gary accepted the terms of the deal. In addition to Melvin's investment, Brian Bloom reinvested some of his own cash into TSR. When the dust settled, Brian Bloom owned 41% of TSR, Melvin Bloom owned 34%, and Gary was now the minority shareholder with 25%. Gary was confident that the Blooms were good friends and good business partners. Still, it was disconcerting for him to go from founder and equal partner to minority shareholder with two newcomers over him. All of this happened in a year and a half. However, there were perks to this deal. With this infusion of cash, Gary and Brian were able to place an order for 5,000 copies of D&D. This was the largest single order to date. In the latter half of 1975, TSR acquired a two-story house on William Street in Lake Geneva. The second floor became the first official TSR offices. The first floor became the Dungeon Hobby Shop. In this cramped corner retail space, they sold every product in the TSR catalog. They also sold an assortment of Avalon Hill games, Grenadier miniatures, and polyhedral dice. Perhaps the most notable benefit of the additional cash was the ability to hire their first employee, Tim Kask. Kask was hired to be their periodicals editor. He worked on the strategic review to begin with, but a year later he would help launch Dungeon Magazine. But that's a story for another time. If I was Gary, I would have been furious at losing so much ownership of TSR. But from my research, I don't get the impression that it was a huge deal to him. TSR got to grow, he got to continue making games and writing periodicals, and he got to get paid to do what he loved to do, 
I suppose Gary saw it as a win-win. While Gary was great strategically in designing and playing games, he seemed to lack strategic sense with money or business. This character flaw became a reoccurring theme in Gary's life. Next time on Knowledge History D&D, we'll enter the latter half of the 70s, a time when D&D was growing faster than ever, both financially and with regard to the mechanics and content of the game. Script by Eric Dewhurst. Titles by Jen Kunrath. And a special thank you to Robert Sherman for his impression of a paperweight.